So. Tonight we're talking about mindful communication. And uh, next week I'll be talking about spiritual approaches to anxiety and panic attacks and uh, onslaught of fear and worry. But tonight it's mindful communication. So we're hitting the uh, fun part of the year. And um, there's a number of intentions behind speech acts. One of the uh, intentions is, of course, simply what's known as referential speech, where we give information from one person to another about uh, an additional experience. For instance, if I tell you that it's no longer raining outside and you've been indoors, that's information. And uh, information when it's successfully transmitted, it does actually release a little bit of dopamine, so it is rewarding to, it also seals a social pact. Uh, Another intention is approval-inducing, which simply means trying to get people to like us, approve of us, say, oh my God, you're a wonderful person. I really like you. Much of what we do on Facebook is approval and saying Photographing our lunch. Ourselves at parties where we look popular and loved. Doing adventurous things that we normally wouldn't do, but we do often simply to document the fact. Look at me. I'm, this is me in a rowboat or something. So, so approval-inducing communication is basically something that releases a lot of dopamine, which is an excitatory neurotransmitter that makes us feel rewarded, makes us feel powerful, makes us feel protected, and um, it spikes very quickly. Dopamine is the ingredient in so many of the addictive drugs that we seek. It's, of course, in drugs it's exogenous, it's not internal endogenous, but it's a very powerful neurotransmitter. It's the active ingredient in Coke and Speed and so many other exciting behaviors like gambling, shopping, internet, interneting. <laughs> so the problem with dopamine is that it spikes and then we crash. It's a little bit like a sugar rush and then we're left wanting more. It creates an addictive spiral. Often people turn towards approval-inducing communication because they feel lingering sensations of loneliness, discomfort, 
sadness, uh, isolation, frustration, despair, confusion. And so to escape those feelings arising, we turn towards approval-inducing communication to get that hit of dopamine. Make me feel good right now. A little bit like that shopping binge or that uh, any form of, you know, just addictive, impulsive behavior that we turn to in stressful experiences. Now, there's a third form of uh, communication that's very useful, and that is um, empathetic or mindful-based communication. This is a communication where two people or more can bond on shared experiences that are largely internal and subjective. When we bond, it doesn't release dopamine. It actually releases a different uh, pathway. It releases serotonin and oxytocin and vasopressin, which are the neurotransmitters that uh, one gets from feeling at home, feeling connected, feeling uh, seen, feeling loved. This doesn't have the spike of dopamine. There aren't very, I don't know of people that get high on rushing towards serotonin based, well there is acid which does release a lot of serotonin but it's not generally as addictive as the dopamine experience. So, if somebody's a soldier and they've returned from a war and one soldier says to the other, boy, it was hell out there. That's simply an idea. That's simply language. That's a concept. That's expressing or referring to something that's external, not felt. That doesn't build bonding. On the other hand, if one soldier says to another, ever since I got back, I found it very difficult to relax in my own skin. I feel my breath get tight. I feel the hairs in the back of my neck stand up in tense situations. I find it difficult to uh, relax in unknown situations. I feel a tightness in my stomach. I feel jumpy at sudden sounds. This creates the possibility of deep empathy because one person is, is sharing their internal subjective experience, not an external observation. It's very difficult to do. In life, we tend to prefer ideas. We love ideas, they're easy to grasp, they're easy to express. As ideas exist either in words or images, we can describe them effortlessly and quickly. 
it doesn't feel vulnerable to describe an idea. But of course it doesn't generate the deep feelings of connection because connecting via somebody agreeing with an idea doesn't give us the feeling that our human deep felt experience has been understood, which is what we need to feel connected, to feel bonded with others. Is that making sense so far? Some traps we fall into in communication is when we turn subjective experiences into objective observations. It goes like this. Uh, When I was a kid, my parents, in an attempt as uh, immigrants to become assimilated, decided that all Americans, for some reason, who were all Americans who were successful went to the opera, which was a horrendous observation. But they uh, dragged me and my sister to go to the opera, and from that point on in life, I've had a felt subjective abhorrence to almost all forms of opera, which in and of itself doesn't mean that opera is good or bad or anything. It simply means that I have a history with it. But for a long time, when I was younger and somebody would put on Mozart or whatever, I'd say, what the fuck are you putting that on for? I feel that as well for any bands that come from Seattle. (laughs) I know that's wrong, that there are plenty of you that think that Soundgarden or Nirvana or or Pearl Jam, God forbid, are the uh, the answers for cultural creativity and all that. But I hear it, and literally the muscles in the back of my neck start to pull my shoulders up into my skull. The moment, what's his name, Chris Cornell? I can't remember. He starts singing, I just feel the suffering of the Jews, I'm half Jewish, for the ages. So, uh, it's very easy for me to turn that subjective experience into an objective statement. Why are you playing this shit? I mean, well, to examine that, so very often in life, anything that makes us uncomfortable or creates discomfort, we will turn into this is bad. And we will make no longer a subjective experience of it. We will state objectively, this is bad. We won't say, oh, pizza with pineapples doesn't taste pleasurable to me. We say, who the fuck would eat a pizza with a pineapple on it? You get the idea. And this causes conflict. Likewise, our statement that anything is great, when it's subjectively something that creates pleasure can cause that kind of problem as well. Objectifying the subjective. 
We also do this with ourselves. We constantly worry about our reputation, managing what other people think about us, because we think about ourselves not in terms of constantly flowing experiences, different manifestations of moods, feelings, ideas, etc. We think of ourselves as having specific skills and knowledge areas which we have to protect. It's easy for me, having been teaching the Dharma for a decade, when I'm around people and I hear the word Buddha, for my ears to pick up, ooh, this is my expertise. (laughs) People now should listen to what I say. On the other hand, we can have areas where we don't feel we have permission to speak, where we feel we've told a story about ourselves not having any skills or worthwhile information. So we basically marginalize ourselves. All of these ideas get in the way of those times when we can deeply bond with one another by turning away from the spoken concepts and ideas that we've pre-developed already and open instead to experiences that are constantly changing and flowing through us and just focus on what our our experience is right now, in the moment. So, for example, I was using uh, my love of uh, Captain Beefheart, kind of a obscure 60s and 70s cacophonous musician, writer, singer. Uh, I generally really like his music, but, and that's an idea I carry around. I like Captain Beefheart. But I was sitting with a friend a couple weeks ago, and we were having a conversation, and there was this music playing in the background that was just making it impossible for me to concentrate or relax. And before I made a statement, I just said, what is this we're listening to? And it was Captain Beefheart. So at this point, I have a conundrum. My actual felt experience has turned this shit off. I cannot think right now. I'm trying to have a conversation, and we're hearing this demo by Captain Beefheart. But then there's this idea, this story I have that I always... uh, have spent a lot of time supporting, which is Captain B for his grave. So what are we open to? What we're really experiencing or what uh, is flowing the story we've been carrying around? As a lifelong progressive lefty, sometimes I watch these movies which really make you root for somebody to turn into a vigilante and kill everybody. They've taken his 
wife, they've taken his kids, they've taken his job, is he going to take any more? No! Get them all! And then I feel, oh my God, I'm a, I'm a Buddhist. <laughs> I'm a lefty, I'm against the death penalty, I want humane sentencing, I, what is the matter with me? So do we deny the experience? Do we deny the fact that we have incompatible experiences that don't live up to the story that we love to tell about ourselves? So when the Buddha talked about speech, he talked about it in two ways. One way was right speech, which means not causing harm. The Buddha said we avoid lying, aggressive, violent speech. We avoid uh, divisive speech, and we avoid idle speech, which is the kind of speech that comes about when we don't like silence and we feel compelled to fill it with sound. This silence makes us uncomfortable. That's not some avatra that's called, but that's not the point of tonight's talk. The Buddha also talked about developing mindfulness during speech, and he talked about the importance of cultivating sympathetic joy for other people's happiness and empathetic compassion for other people's suffering and empathetic kindness for their condition overall, the Brahma-Viharas. So how do we do that? How do we speak and listen in a way that's empathetic? The first is that we have to overcome the impulse behind speech. We're all very good talkers. Human beings can effortlessly talk quickly. In most interpersonal situations, there will be an initial idea or uh, compulsion to say an habitually ingrained view or opinion. It's generally not about some internal experience. It's almost invariably uh, something that is seeking approval or simply seeking to uh, relieve a conflict or continue a conflict or to pass along information. But all of these things generally are not about talking about very subjective experience. The core truth of mindful-based communication is that there is no objective truth at all. We let go of any objective claims and we focus on our subjective experience, what we feel, not what we think. In our culture, people even have a tendency to mistake feelings for thoughts and thoughts for feelings. 
it's very common to hear people saying, I feel that I never get to pick the Chinese restaurant that we go out to. That's not a feeling. <laughs> That's a thought. A feeling is, I feel uncomfortable when we choose which place to eat because I feel unseen. That's a feeling. A thought is conceptual and it can only be conveyed in language. It's a theory, it's an idea. A feeling is embodied. It's about a subjective experience that nobody else could know or argue. When I say to you, uh, I feel uh, unseen, you can't argue that. That's my subjective experience. When I say, you don't see me, then I'm making an objective claim about your experience, and you can argue that. So it's very important in mindful communication to keep the focus on what we experience, as opposed to making claims towards what the other uh, is doing. We can certainly say in these situations I feel, but it's best to keep the focus on the internal. It's best to pause wherever possible because to overcome that initial urge to, to, that will push us towards the ingrained and the approval seeking or the security seeking and instead open to something that's much more vulnerable and something that often is authentic but not easily expressed, sometimes even uh, experiences that we don't feel safe unless we give ourselves a lot of care expressing. So we need to develop in mindful communication the pause where we can outlast the initial impression and open to other things that could be expressed. When I talk mindfully in practice with other Dharma punks teachers, one of the things we do is we try to move towards the stuff that nobody's articulating or talking about, i.e. the elephant in the room, the 500-pound gorilla, you know what I'm talking about? That thing in relationship histories or personal histories that we avoid because it's difficult and it's messy and it creates... Uh, awkwardness. It's very important to outlast the initial impulses, which are always about love me, like me. This is my fun comment. This is the thing that you'll like to hear and go into that area. Because that's where the true feeling of opening and being uh, met, being 
having our experience shared comes from. Let's see if there's any. It's very important through this process to keep note of areas, especially in the base of the throat, which often tighten and resist deeper sadnesses or uncomfortable emotional energy to be uh, expressed. In my experience, people often get a very almost like they're strangling a thought, strangling something that they want to say. Sometimes the jaw will lock, or literally the shoulders will press down. And I find that it's important just to relax this energy, so this tension, so that there can be a fluid sense of what's felt to arise. It's very important also the act of receiving. It's important, of course, first of all, to put aside that tendency to prepare, rehearse, locate the response that we're going to give. We can really deeply feel that we know exactly what the person's going to say and that, and give ourselves permission to abandon them and go into inner chatter to prepare what we want to say. The problem is, every time we go into inner chatter, we completely abandon receiving what is being expressed to us. There's actually a wonderful study that came out recently that showed that when people think, they really the first thing they drop out is other people's speech. We, re- we, we let go of hearing. We, no long- we basically are no longer present for them. Truth in the subjective sense is constantly emerging. It's, when it's an idea, it's static. Ideas are static. They're dead things. But feelings are alive, they change, they flow, the breath changes, the body changes, the gut feelings change, the mood of the mind, the energy levels of the mind, all that is changing. So to convey that, along with any images and memories that arise from the past, is an ongoing flowing thing. And if we go into thought, we close off to those subtleties of change and flow that might be occurring when someone is being mindful with us. It's also very important to receive more than just the words, but to open to the physical expressions, the facial expressions, the tone of voice, the movement of the other's body, the feeling between you and I, the all those things that are so difficult to express in words, which is why I'm a little bit struggling to convey it, but to open to more than just the idea that they're trying to convey and to locate 
what else are they saying? What else is being said? Somebody can tell us, I'm okay, but you can see and hear in their voice by a haltingness, uh, a sound of trepidation, a uh, wavering in their tongue or mouth or a, a, a look of sadness in the eyes. We can see that there's more to the story than what's being spoken. And this is mindfully listening and participating in mindful communication. When the other person completes their statement, it's important to give a pause, to allow it to sink in, and to return to what arises inside before we speak. And then another part of the equation or the process that's very important is to repeat back what we've heard if there's any doubt at all that we may not have received what's being expressed. For example, literally feeling or opening to the idea of saying what I heard you say was that you don't feel appreciated, you don't uh, feel comfortable in this situation, etc. So that you can acknowledge their experience rather than deny it, rather than immediately move on from it. When we do this in communication, we literally give this sense to the other that they've gotten the most important thing they can get from another human being, which is um, literally being witnessed, being visible, being, being taken in. That's really, in my work, that I've done with others the most important aspect of one-on-one -on -one communication. When I was doing hospice work, there's really not a lot of communication. There's this image in movies and TVs that shows that right before people die, they give these long speeches and then they fall. I never told you how much I love you. That's not what happens. <laughs> Generally, you're just giving presents, and just having somebody be there is really what's needed. It's the same thing in all human communication. Just being around someone who receives and allows is so much more important than that fixing urge that we have to solve other people's problems, other people's challenges. There does come a time in experience as close friends where we need to make the shift from receiving and holding to helping. But in my view, the receiving always comes first receiving somebody else's uh, subjective 
senses, what they can convey, before moving into the, okay, this is what I do. And I try not to do that in the same, unless the person conveys that they're really deeply in trouble and deeply need help. So that's really all I want to say about that. The point is, is that mindful communication can't be done, nor should it be done in the bulk of the mundane settings in life. If you try this by the water cooler, people will not be happy. <laughs> Nobody really wants to hear when they say, how was your weekend? Well, I felt that. Uh, <laughs> right now I'm opening to a sense of incompletion and the feeling of <laughs> heaviness in the chest and uh, a reluctance to, to open, yeah. <laughs> They'll they'll flee, you know, and and they'll be yes. So it's important just to communicate when we need to make that bonded experience with someone. Right now, I need to have a wise friend receive an experience or or hear what I'm experiencing or or open to. Uh, difficult material, however you want to put it. But when it's done, it really builds a sense of connection and deep, uh, deep support that nothing else can do. You can't find it on Facebook or texting. It can't be done any other way than two people looking at each other, taking each other and seeing each other's uh, body, face, all that's being conveyed. So thank you for listening. I hope there was something worthwhile in there. I'm going to turn off the... Uh